welcome to the Laughing Monkey Music Show. Today we have on KMFDM's leader, Sasha. Sasha is the vocalist, synth, multi-instrument, drums, bass, probably main songwriter and always mainstay from the very, very beginning. And that you guys are approaching, what, 30, is it 39 years now or 40? Pretty close. Yeah, I think it's coming on 39 years in uh, next month. Holy moly. Could Do you think when you started that you would be in a band 39 years down the road? That no, sounds crazy. Not. I mean, I had no idea what was going to happen, but um, you know, like <clears throat> a lot of a lot of uh, coincidence, a lot of uh, basically sheer luck, and being at the right time at the right place. That's that was the recipe. It is. As a longtime fan, I've been aware of the the, the storied career and the back and forth, and it's been interesting. I think. You've had some great players with you, which has allowed the band to continue to flourish and be interesting through the years and not limited you to, uh, you know, being stale. Um, the fact you, you know, the energy and the songs are so powerful, and this is heavy as before. You know, back in the day when you think of being 40 years on, it's not going to be rocking as hard. You guys are probably actually, you know, some of your songs are heavier than they've ever been on these past couple albums. Probably, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which is, know. you know, fantastic. It's, you know, yeah, well, that's that's the way it worked out. You know, it's um, not so much really planning everything. It's kind of just going with the flow and then seeing where it takes you. And you've had some very good relationships with some of your musicians through the years. And I think the idea of having a revolving cast with a couple of mainstays has really been, you know, one of the big reasons why the band stayed so relevant through the years. And it's probably one of the few standing, standing right now of that time period waving the flag without becoming a brand or anything else. You're true to who you were, which is quite honorable. Right. That's, that was a hard piece of work really to, to maintain that because obviously in the, in the sort of mid nineties, you know, labels were trying to grab up bands of the industrial, mm -hmm. so to speak, genre left and right. And um, it was, it was really difficult at some point to make certain decisions because, you know, I always, thought I need to stay true to what I want to do and not to, you know, go for a quick buck and then be sort of, you know, shut up like a rocket and then burn out and destroy. So right. <clears throat> that was really difficult because obviously, you know, when there's a lot of money kind of in the, in the offers, um, you know, some people go like, uh, why don't we take the money and run? And I was always like, nah. <laughs> That's just uh, let's do well, it's hard, and you know, because you got you got to do yeah, it to pay bills, and there's something wrong with an artist making money. In fact, I think artists should make more money. I think they should do whatever they want with yourself. But I agree, the fans are hard, the industry's hard. They want to make you a product. The fans want you to stay true and be their favorite small band. But an artist has to pay for health insurance, bills, food, touring. Like so, the artist gets put in a weird spot. You get too successful, then you're a sellout. You know what I mean? So. Somehow you guys have managed to kind of keep the balance. Yeah, I mean, the main reason for that is because KMFDM never was a band like you imagine a band, like, you know, with a, with a sort of agenda and a, and a rehearsal space and kind of, I don't know, you know, regular meetings and sort of jamming together. It was always like a yeah. project kind of driven type of thing. So, and for people, yeah, I'm sorry. From from the from the very beginning, we had a uh, open door policy. So whoever like kind of happened to 
you know, come by the studio or someone we met, you know, they would be invited to partake in, a, in an album cycle or on a tour or whatever. It was just like, uh, you know, let's keep it lively and interesting rather than, you know, become this band where everybody says, you know, the vocals aren't too loud, aren't loud <laughs> enough, the drums aren't loud enough, and all this kind of shit. Um, so, yeah, that, that was really... Um, it was really always the, the sort of the undertow uh, behind the whole thing. Definitely a very at-will at job employment, as they call it nowadays, is the buzzword. <laughs> you know, uh, you can yeah. come and go at will. <laughs> right. You don't like it, you can just leave. It's, you don't have to like everything. You can take a break. Exactly. You know? Exactly. Yep. And that's pretty healthy. And especially for back then, that's not how it was, you know, and... There were a lot of good bands that came out, but I think what's great is you. Like a lot of bands got bigger, and I think a lot of bands, and I'm not going to name any names because it's, it's not cool, but I think a lot of bands copped your sound on some level and got really, really big. And some of their bigger albums in the 90s um, kind of was your sound, actually. I was like, I've heard that before on <laughs> this album I came to you before, you know, uh, which was kind of interesting. But uh, I'm glad to see your, your band is still going as strong. So, I mean, in the end, it worked out well. Uh, for people oh, that don't know, yeah. yeah, I mean, you guys have been around and, and you started out as, as actually, uh, in the, I'm not going to do a real brief beginning, way back in 84, as just a, as a, as a performance project with other, with other musicians loosely based. I do want to say something you said in, in one of your videos. Uh, you mentioned that you actually got involved in because you were driving a bunch of drunk musicians to, the, to a performance. I love the idea of that, that so you fell into it. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's exactly how it was. They were they were artists, um, you know, like sculptors and painters and yeah. whatnot. And they had an, they had been invited to Paris, France, to uh, you know participate in the opening of a show about then kind of you know relevant European art, whatever. Mm -hmm. And um, they were like totally drunks, all of them. So. <laughs> <laughs> They said, you know, hey, would you drive us to Paris? And I was like, I was totally straight edge. And, you know, I was like, yeah, sure. Yeah. Sure, I'd drive you to Paris if you pay me a hotel room. Yeah. And um, as we drove and, uh, you know, talked, and some of the guys were like, so you're, you're, you're a bass player? And I'm like, yeah, kind of, I'm a bass player on and off. And they said, how about uh, we rent, like, some equipment and you make some noise for the opening of this, this uh, performance? It's like sure, you know, and as uh, as it was, um, there was a um, a music store, and right next to it, there was a sort of a junk store, and so we rented a bass amp and a bass guitar, and then we looked into the junk store to see if we could find some noise making kind of tools or something, and they had a bunch of vacuum cleaners for dirt cheap, so we just bought like seven vacuum cleaners, and uh, you know created a sound installation that was just droning and the feedbacking <laughs> bass and um you know it was it was pretty ugly stuff actually <laughs> and people didn't really seem to stay very long at the at the opening of that uh, exhibit so you know we were just thinking about a motto for the day and it, it came up to be no pity for the majority and of course that was way too straight up so it became no majority for the pity <laughs> and uh that kind of stuck that is great and i thank you for sharing that i'm sure you've told that story probably a billion times but 
I'm hoping to expose new people that don't hear this and are overwrapped in years of the internet and not catching the full history of this band. They should be aware of, you know, because this is when there wasn't all these other bands and all these other sounds and noise. This is the very beginning where people are like, this is insane. This is nonsense when you were doing this. This isn't, right. and I don't want people to understand that, especially the younger, younger generation. I remember, because I was, you know, I'm 52, so this was of my time. But you have, you have a newer fan base, and I think it's it's even more groundbreaking to realize that this wasn't happening. This is something brand new. You know, you weren't going to Hot Topic yeah. buying your clothes. <laughs> you know, it was it was, um, it was funny. Like the first the first couple of times that KMFDM uh, played actually concerts, like in in venues, um, <clears throat> there was this one pretty uh, you know not. He wasn't famous, but he was very known around town here in Hamburg, Germany. And he wrote, uh, on occasion, little blurbs in, in the sort of upcoming news and concerts. And he would always say, KMFDM, I added again, don't go to shows of KMFDM. They are the worst band in the world. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, awesome. we totally loved that. It was like, yes, you know. That's the best advertisement. Oh, yeah, Absolutely. And of course, people showed up like in droves, going like, "We have to see the worst band <laughs> in the world." So. <laughs> I have to at least say I saw it. Oh, it's awesome! Oh God, do you still have any flyers like that? That'd be that's a great. Oh, I still oh. have I still have one of the uh, of the press clippings. Yeah. Oh, you got to share it on your Instagram or something. That's awesome. That would be funny. I, I will have to do that. Yeah. I, I thought you said I have to share it. It's awesome. I did see it just the other day when I looked through a, a hard drive with archival stuff. And uh, uh -huh. I was thinking, yeah, you should do something with that. But then, you, you should. know, like, surely you know. <laughs> I would. Right. So what's really cool is, you know, I'll go back and forth on a few things. But one thing I want to talk about, though, is first off, you have a new album out in 2022, uh, Hyenas, which is fantastic. And you just did a tour, well, the end of it, of uh, in North America in September and October. Which is fantastic. You're touring because you've been, you tour America almost every other year or every year, depending on what's going on from the very beginning, which is also rare for bands from Europe to always come over and be able to do that. Um, yeah, that's true. I mean, um, well, we didn't tour America until we got uh, invited by ministry to open for them on the well, 1990 right. tour. But since then, um, but yeah, I mean, prolific. Uh, you're pretty prolific though. Immediately, I, I relocated to the United States because. You know, I was like, hey, people love our stuff here, and uh, what do I do at home to make money? I, I paint people's apartments, you know. So, yeah, and then, of course, we, you know, we opened for ministry, and then the next year we started headlining our own tours and became uh, pretty well-known pretty quickly, actually. You and ministry and, playing um, together is a, is a good mixer, too. That that was a great introduction. That's how I, that's the only time I came into really knowing who you guys were, too, around that time. It was a good introduction for me. To learn who you guys were. Yeah, that was, that was a that was a crazy tour. I mean, it was probably, I would say, probably one of the top ten crazy rock and roll tours the world has ever seen. And, yeah. Um, I mean, it offered pretty much everything from people being flambéed in their beds to you know a naked <laughs> Al Jurgensen uh, trying to cross the border from Canada back into the U.S. and I was like. <laughs> All right, all right. This is rock and roll. That, you don't get more rock and roll than that. That is hilarious. <laughs> no, not much, not much. And and the, the fan base is perfect for each other. It's a good crossover. I, I love the fact that you know, still both bands 
I'd love to this day. You and me and Al's band. Uh, but yeah, from the very beginning, you still toured. Um, and but the fact you came over toward now, though, let's face it, we've well, with, with Brexit happening for, over in Europe, and then and then now after after COVID, but then also with the you know all, all the taxing and stuff coming over to the country, it's expensive for bands to come over. You know, and it prevents a lot oh, of bands man, from coming yeah. over. Oh, you know, I tell people it's like that. five to seven grand per person to file the paperwork for for an artist, so that's not including crew. So if an artist comes to your town, you better go see them. They need, you know. <laughs> So it's honorable you guys show up all the time like this and push through, because no, it's very true. I mean, it, it's become so expensive. I mean, I lived in the states overall for nearly twenty years, and uh, you know, I'm familiar with like the price of, I don't know, stuff in a grocery store. Right. And um, you know, last time we were over there in, in the fall '22, I was just like shocked, man. Like a pack of cigarettes in, in Boston, they wanted eighteen bucks. For a pack yeah. of smokes, you know, they used to be two fifty, <laughs> not too long ago. Yeah, things are kind of bananas so, right now. Yeah, I know. Yep, that that is crazy. The, uh, the prices. So yeah, it's so when you, when you were here, you were living in over in California, though, right? No, I lived in Chicago for about six years, almost in okay. Seattle okay. for about eleven years, and in New York City for about two years. Oh, good. That's really getting a, a real taste of the culture, too, because it's really moving around. I'm outside of New York. I'm, I'm, I'm in Connecticut. So I'm right between New York and Boston. Right. So it's it's a different and Connecticut area. Connecticut is nice. It is very nice. I like, you know, like I, I like Connecticut. It's it's nice because there's not, there's city, but there's not too much city, you know, especially nowadays. I like I like woods and right. <laughs> quiet. <laughs> right. I, you know, you're close enough to go to the shows, but not have to be around the city all the time. Yeah, that's the beauty. Are you close to the water or or inland? Yeah, no, I'm close, about 45 minutes to an hour, which is pretty close oh, cool. around here. To to a lot of water, not just here. I can go pretty close to hitting Rhode Island. Like there's a lot of different places I can go from where I'm located. Yeah, yeah. So it's great. Different beaches, there. you know, and different parks and stuff. You know, it's I'd love that. Did you miss that when you went back over to Germany? The the differences in the like something you get used to in the U.S. It's not in Germany or vice versa. You mean before I came to the U.S. the first time? Well, yeah, we've, yeah. Before you came, yeah, because you're in one place. You come to the U.S. and you're not getting stuff from home. But then, then you get used to the U.S. stuff and you go back to Germany. It must have been like you get used to one thing and it goes back and forth. The change. Well, I mean, I was I was completely baffled by the variety of, of uh, you know, the the country or whatever the continent in and by itself. Um, and uh, you know, I've. Before I came over, I, I've seen like uh, kind of movies, American movies, and like some TV shows like Dynasty or Dallas or something. <laughs> yeah. And I thought, you know, they're all like looking like fucking Larry Hagman and they're all like fucking idiots. <laughs> the, the Ewings, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, man, I was in for a, a nice surprise. Um, I fell in love with America like instantly. I mean, Basically, in the first week I was over there, I was just like, man, this place is fucking cool. There are a lot of different rules here, at least. You know, obviously things have changed a lot, but there's a lot of diversity compared, you know, choices are good. Um, oh, absolutely. I mean, landing in Chicago was, was not the shittiest place to, to, you know, hit the ground running anyway. So we were, like, staying at the Wax Tracks record label yep. and, um, you know, got spoiled top to bottom 
from morning to night, you know, like <laughs> the guys were like, Hey, let's go to the show and let's get high. Let's get some Thai food. <laughs> it was all like, wow, all the shit that they have here. This is crazy good. You know? I can imagine it's totally different, like a whole new on a whole other planet for that to do that. And as an oh, artist, it must have been must have very cre- been creative too for you to be inspiring. I would think to have all this totally stuff. It was totally inspiring. You. Yeah. Um, I mean, just sitting topics. on a just sitting on a on a tour bus, you know, like at night and looking out the window, going going like, wow, there's like no lights here for like an hour now. Where yeah. the fuck are we? Yeah. <laughs> you know, he asked the driver. He goes like, we're going through the desert. Okay, cool. Yeah, and I stay up until it's daylight so I can see the desert for the first time in my life. That was kind of like the idea, the whole thing. Yeah, that that would be. I could imagine like for fresh eyes to come to see this because you're used to it from here. I'm used to you know, growing up in all the, all the different terrains, all the different choices, all the different excess. You know, which is yeah. Someone, is... someone in I think it was it was somewhere in the south. I I don't know. If, whether it was in Texas or somewhere there. But um, late at night at a truck stop, I was talking to someone and they said, you have a funny accent. Where are you from? I said, I'm from Germany. He said, is that in Wisconsin? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what is Wisconsin? <laughs> <laughs> the two of you. <laughs> I, had I had no idea what he was talking about. And, well, there is a Paris, Texas, though. So the naming things get kind of crazy over here, too. <laughs> Oh yeah, I know. <laughs> That's pretty crazy. That, um, it is. So what's really interesting is I want to say, so when you were touring, actually, so this, this new album came out and it's the same lineup you had from your last album from Paradise, which is also a really good album. And you had, you had um, Andy's been your drummer for a very long time. He's fantastic. And obviously Lucia, but, um, but Andy uh, Black Sugar there is um, newer to the ranks of your band. Uh, great addition, great player. Did his playing change at all from that first album when he first started with you guys to the new one? Has things like the songwriting, the groove changed a little bit as you get to know each other better? Well, the story with uh, Andy Black Sugar is pretty funny. Um, we were like uh, touring with um, a band from, from Germany. Yeah. And um, did some European shows. And um, the plan was to take them with us over to the States. And the, the two guitarists, in that band, they were going to play guitars for KMFDM, and then they ended up not getting their visas in time. And um, so I was facing, you know, the fact that I had about 13 days left to go to the U.S. without an opening act, without guitarists. Yeah. And I called my friend uh, Doug Wimbish, the the bass player, you know, also a Connecticut guy. Yes, I was going to actually ask about that next. <laughs> I said, Doug, I'm in a, in a bit of a cinch here. I need a guitarist that is about as good as you are on the bass, and I need him in two weeks, and I need him for five weeks or something like that. And uh, Doug said, I have just the right guy for you. And um, he gave me a phone number, and I called up Andy Black Sugar, and I said, da I got your number from Doug Wimbish, and, um, you know, gave him the short and he was like yeah i can do it i gotta find a cat sitter but i, I can definitely do it <laughs> so and um two weeks later we met in chicago at the airport um we had a couple of drinks in the hotel and the next day a rehearsal was uh, scheduled in a 
in a rehearsal place in Chicago. And um, the sound guy that had been recommended by a third party, um, he ended up not understanding how the mixing console worked. Really? So we spent a whole day in the rehearsal room um, with a guy that could not get a, not a sound out of the equipment. So the next day we were headlining the three day, the third day of the Chicago Cold Waves Festival, and we had never played anything together. We had not, you know, nothing. Holy moly! So we did a sound check, and um, then a couple of five, six hours later, we went on stage cold. Never had played together. And um, next day, Chicago Tribune wrote. Uh, KMFDM was definitely the highlight of a great weekend. <laughs> oh, how nervous were you though we after like, all these years? Oh, it was just like so crazy. You know, we were like sweating bullets on stage, but apparently nobody noticed. People were like fucking stage diving and crowd surfing, just wow. like in the old days. And and uh, that's a testament wow. to your 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 professionalism and the Andy skills to kind of come in and learn it. You know, that's definitely what seasoned musicians <laughs> helped. Yeah, you know? no, it, it was like that. I never thought it possible, but uh, I mean, we pulled it off. And, uh, you know, we're going to be playing <clears throat> at this uh, Sick New World Festival in a couple of months. And um, Andy May. was like, but this time, this time we get to rehearse, right? And I said, nah, we'll, we'll do it cold, you know, we can do it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's but crazy. we asked about Andy's playing, that's how we even got here. Um, well, I mean, in the meantime, one of the biggest things that happened is that Andy is now playing with Blondie. Yep. And um, so, you know, that that makes us, uh, well, it, it, we have to rethink our schedules and, and really sort of time things because obviously mm -hmm. we don't want to get into each other's way. Right. But um, I don't know Andy long enough to be able to say whether his playing has changed much but he's he's doing so much stuff he's he's um involved in a plethora of different projects and plays shows all the time with different people and um you know he's just a lot of bands of do that nowadays versatile. you know that's uh, easy the world that's easy the world a lot, a lot of young guitar players are very very much in a lot of projects nowadays it feels like it's the new model you yeah know? yeah he's he's totally out there and you know he's so versatile he he can fit basically with with anyone you know you can play so many styles of, of music in with with such confidence he's just amazing well i was actually just referring also to him coming in around the paradise album up into the new album and he, like as far as songwriting goes and was there any like a difference in him coming on that album to this album you know what i mean as you know each a little bit better hey i have a better idea now that i know how you how we play live i have a different idea now you know what i'm saying like because it changes your thoughts you know well, playing live in it touring the thing is like mostly the the seeds for for songs are laid mm -hmm. kind of down in, in my studio right and then i pass things around to the both andy's and and to lucia <clears throat> and whoever has any any sort of thoughts about it puts something down and uh you know that's that's how things progress naturally um without really <clears throat> much pressure or, or anything you know i, I never go um, hey guys, write a song, you know, just drums and guitar. But right. they do it anyways, you know. Like Andy goes, like I got a new track here and it's fantastic, so let's record it. Oh, that's really cool. And, that's uh, really cool. 
same with Drum Man. You know, he's 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 got a hidden love for cheesy disco music and and funk and stuff. So. <laughs> Does uh, Drum Andy? Craziest, yeah, yeah. Drum Andy comes up with the craziest, coolest bass lines here and there. So you know, and uh, sometimes I'm writing guitar riffs. So it's kind of all over the place. And uh, you know, as as long as as long as this sort of idea for for a track kind of keeps moving, I think it's worth developing it. Um, it's just when you get in a funk with it, then. You know, and you you go like oh, I I I can't kind of carry on developing this. Then usually it goes away and maybe it gets dug up uh, a couple of years later. And you know, oh look at this, how cool is that? You know, never knew what to do with it, but now I have an idea. <laughs> I imagine the uh, drum Andy when Andy Andy uh, lecture came in, he, he says this isn't going to work. I call you Andy number two, or he gave another name, right? The dominant Andy in the group. <laughs> We're calling the, the, the drum Andy and the guitar Andy. Oh, guitar, okay. <laughs> That's great. That makes it simple. That's pretty funny. So on Paradise, actually, in, in track six, Piggy, this is, that was my question. So the Doug Wimbish connection, where, where that came from? Because obviously, I think he's a great bass player. And I love you know, Living Color. So, I mean, so you had a relationship well, with him prior? Been, Doug and I have been uh, friends since, I want to say, 1986. We, um, you know, I was just, uh, I was uh, in some sort of cahoots with Adrian Sherwood, and he was doing sound for uh, Mark Stewart and the Mafia and Techhead. Mm -hmm. And every time um, Adrian Sherwood came to Hamburg, we just hooked up. And, uh, you know, so we all got kind of close. And um, Adrian produced a couple of tracks for one of our earliest albums, and, uh, you know, once a connection like that is made, you always kind of, I don't know, I hadn't spoken to Adrian maybe in 10 years, and then we bumped into each other in the, in the lobby of a hotel in Tokyo. You know, hey, what are you doing here? Like crazy stuff, you know. The, the, the industry is very crazy but like that. One of the things that's really great at this point with your, your band, this, as, as, as long as it's been around now, you, you've got to be seeing different generations now where somebody like coming in younger, like my kids are old enough to now come in, come with me to go see you. That's going to be really cool first oh, yeah. to begin with. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, that's that's crazy. I mean, I'm, I'm always amazed every time we're on the road in America. It's like this this new, fresh kids, you know? Yeah, and, um, awesome. Of course, they, they heard from somewhere, you know, that we're approachable and, you know, and then people come up to me and go like, hey, you know, I'm I'm sorry to bother you, but I want to <laughs> ask you a question. I'm like, you don't bother me at all. You know, I'm, I'm happy that you're here and I'm, I'm glad to meet you and, you know, tell me stuff. And, you know, so there was there was another thing that, that really baffled me when I first came to the States was how condescending people or bands treated their fans. You know, I mean, for me, it was always like people that come to our shows are potential people that give us a place to sleep and maybe a warm mm -hmm. meal even. Um, so you don't treat them like shit, you know? Well, uh, but, it's, uh, like a, it's, a it's like a community that they, you're just in charge of, sort of. You're loosely in charge of this community. Right. <laughs> you know, by your music. Right. We, we, so yeah. have you <laughs> noticed your fans are different? I'm sorry. The, the fans are more open though than, than most bands too because you're so approachable though, you know? 
Right, right. But yeah, I mean, you know, I I see people that I've known for, uh, God knows, since the early '90s, and now they're bringing their grandchildren. <laughs> God, that is Crazy. that is so awesome. Though, as an artist to see that, I mean, I didn't think back like if I told twenty year old me this, they'd be like, "No way." That's <laughs> <laughs> right. not even possible, right? To even think about that. Do you have fans of different generations now? They're like, do you like? I guess what I'm trying to say is like, for fans, fans have certain songs that they love, even if it's a non-album single, just a deep cut that they love. Are you finding that fans, new fans, have the same deep cuts, or they have different different favorites? No, I mean, for example, um, there's a girl that is, I think, fifteen, and uh, she is from somewhere in, in near Chicago, but on the Indiana side. And she said, my mom and I wanted to come see your show in Chicago, but it's not all ages. I said, come to Milwaukee. It's just an hour further north. I put you on the guest list. Nice. She showed up. She brought us uh, sort of comics of ourselves that she had drawn. Uh-huh. Like, you know, sort of manga style comics. Yeah. And uh, she keeps sending me emails every once a month or so going like, you know, man, I will never forget that great night and uh, I made some new drawings for you and in the meantime I bought the godlike single I was uh, able to find it on vinyl in a used record store you know and I'm like this is so amazing this is the best thing that can happen to a, a person like me that you know has been around in this sort of uh, business whatever industry for 40 years to have yeah. people that I super excited about shit that I put out, you know, 30 years ago. And, yeah. Um, well, being relevant is nice as an artist. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's, it's crazy good. I'm, do the I'm fans have the same I, songs though? I'm sorry. Do the fans have the same, like, but do, you, do you find fans that have, have like same favorite songs though? Like the new fans have like the same favorite songs or is it like, an, they're coming with fresh eyes going back to the catalog. Are they finding new songs that are their favorites? Or they find the same well, songs. I mean, that... it's it's like this: the the sort of you know the fans from the '90s, they're all about angst and and uh, Nihil. Yeah. The fans from the from the 2000s, they're all about all over MDFMK and Attack and World War Three. Oh yeah. And the newer fans, they're all about you know Paradise and and Hell Yeah and Our Time Will Come and so it's I I mean I feel the same way when I. On the rare occasion when I when I sit around and I think I put on some music, what kind of music do I put on? I put on music that I heard when you know I was a teen or something, you know. So yeah. Maybe T Rex or Frank Zappa or you know I'm mm-hmm. I'm not gonna go listen to uh, the newest industrial output from Los Angeles. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. So, it's you know, yeah. I, I get it. I get it. I mean. So people like me. People are enthused. Me. People are enthused with music that they discover, and whenever that is, and whatever that is, um, that kind of sticks with you, I guess. Yes, and it's kind of hard for some bands to move forward. So the fact that you're in a spot where you have generations that are like layered, because a lot of rock bands from the '70s and '80s in America, the fans aren't letting them write anything new, and you know they want they want to write new music, but the fans are like, I just want to hear what I heard when I was in high school and the bands are like, I'm an artist. I'm still playing music. I want to keep writing songs. And, you know, so where you're in a, you're in a nice spot where you can keep writing songs and, and it doesn't matter. 
Right. I mean, I'm sure there's people that's, that say, you know, the only thing that you can listen to is this and this album by KMFDM. Everything after that must have been shit, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and that's fine. I mean, you know, thankfully... Um, Not everyone feels that people, way. If, if you... If you um, if you give 10 people a KMFDM album and you say, which one's your favorite song? They will have a different song, each of them. You know, the one will say number one, the next one will say number two, the next one will say number three. That's just the way it is. That's the way it's always been. And it's just fine like that. It's, I love it. I'm just so, really grateful that I, can, that I can afford to do what I love doing most. And that's, you know, Coming up with crazy shit, <laughs> people loving it. So, hey, do you have a favorite you uh, instrument? Uh, do you have like a favorite synthesizer or guitar that you that you work on these songs with at home to kind of pick up and play, or is it just well? Abstract? Right next to me is right next to me is my old white pearl bass from 1983, mm -hmm. which sent me back about 150 bucks back in the day, <laughs> and uh, you know I grab it a hundred times a day just to try something out, to figure out what note is this, what's going on here. So yeah, that's definitely my favorite instrument. That's very cool. So you, yeah. you still do that. Uh, last couple of questions I have for you. Um, I love the fact that you've had, and if you actually look visually for people that are newer fans or old fans, like if you go on like an iTunes or something, it looks beautiful looking at the albums because you've had a consistent artist. So the art, everything looks very uniform. So as, a, as somebody who like has music on their phone, I, when I can't listen to, I have a record player too. But when I can't, you know, play my record player in the car, it's nice to have it visually set up. And the artwork of, of Aiden, right. on, on, and the artist you've had, uh, Aiden Hughes, for all those albums, the output has consistently been as strong as the music. That is a great relationship. Well, it's, it's, it's basically as recognizable as Coca-Cola, you know? So yeah. If you if you if you look for KMFDM, you will definitely not miss it because it always looks like ah, there it is. You know. It doesn't that, have that was, um, a look. That was a very important um, thing for me always because I obviously um, very early on realized or recognized the potential of having a brand identity. Um, so it wasn't for you know nothing that we stuck with. Aiden, um, through all these decades, you know, because he is really a part of the band, you know, without him, recognizable, um, this sort of, you know, this, 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 uh, this iconic imagery uh, wouldn't be there, you know, it was one of the best days in my life that I happened to run into him, or actually got introduced to him. And you you give him like a super super creative uh, space, right? When you say for an album cover, are you coming up saying, "Hey, here's what I'm thinking, go to town" or what? Well, the the way we work normally is um, he wants a title, so you know. And I, mm -hmm. when I said hyena, um, the next day he sent me a couple of rough sketches of a hyena uh, from from various perspectives doing various things that hyenas maybe do. And um, I was like, you know, it would be really cool to juxtapose it with like some really daft looking um, woman that holds the hyena on a leash, like uh, maybe a Russian oligarch's daughter would yeah. keep a pet hyena or something like that. 
it's like, oh, great idea, you know? Boom, next day, more ideas. And so we kind of, Leverage. you know, touch and go our way forward until we're both happy with it. Well, there I said I love those album covers. It's you guys are the, the perfect team, though. I mean, there's a, there's a few bands that have had the same artists that have been able to do that for years, and and you guys are just, you know, got to be in the top five for doing that. So well, you you also do producing. <laughs> I know, right? But you also do a lot of producing, though, right? Like your own stuff. Do you do a lot of other side work with it for people too, or is it just mostly within the band? Do I do side work? Well, yeah, like producing and stuff. Because I know you're in the studio a lot. Are you doing other work for other people too while you're doing? band stuff yeah i do i do the occasional stuff i mean right now i'm working on a project um with uh vocals from the late uh, mary wilson of the supremes yeah um yeah that's pretty cool that's really cool and that's that's a relatively big project so um but yeah i mean you know, my day only has 25 hours too so i really have to pick and choose what i what i want to do and um a lot of times people, not a lot of times, but occasionally someone asks me like, hey, would you do a remix for me? You know, I don't have much of a budget. And I always say, um, let me hear what you got, you know? And yeah. Because you can pay me $10,000. If I don't like it, then I don't <laughs> want to work on it. Right. And I do it for free if I love it and feel that I can, you know, not help out, but maybe give someone little nudge in a, in a good direction mm -hmm. and um so i think uh, quite a bit of it is about sharing the good fortune that i had you know with my stuff yep. um giving giving it back to people in, in a way awesome so the last thing is for, for the future of 223 what are we looking at for this moving forward with, with well, you and the band? i just tallied up the number of songs that i have in the making for an upcoming album, and it's five. Five is my lucky number. <laughs> um, so yeah, we're going to be playing a couple of shows in May, uh, West Coast, and this big festival in in Vegas. Yeah. And then we're going to probably uh, take the summer off because it gets just too hot in the studio because mm -hmm. I'm directly under the roof. And um, you know, finish finish a new album in in the fall. And hopefully tour again. Come come back out in the spring of 2024. Excellent. Well, this, this has been really being booked, actually. Oh, wow. Oh, cool. This has been really great. I want to thank you for taking time and sharing it with, with me and, and the fans. Uh, it's appreciated. Oh, absolutely. My pleasure. Absolutely. Yeah. Entirely. You know, without people like you, the word wouldn't get out. So, you know. Oh. We're, all, we're all pulling on the same string, basically. We are all, all lovers of music and people, as usual, with me. My spiel is look underneath the show where all the words are, and there will be links for all of the music, the Instagram, Facebook, uh, the website, and anything else you have. I will send me links. I will post it up with this so people can go to it. And yeah, also, don't forget, support the merch. Support the artist merch right at the website. That's where the profit is. <laughs> at clubs, they get uh, they get taxed. When they come over to the U.S., they get double tax. They get taxed from the U.S. tax, and then the clubs tax them. <laughs> so if you buy it directly from the site, they actually get the money. So speaking well, of truth, some of it, you know. <laughs> well, more than some more than you get if you. I don't. Club. I don't like to. I don't like to tout the commercial aspect. That's me. That that's that's my job. Now. I'm a I'm a fan, and I want the artists to keep being successful. 
And the only way you guys keep being successful is if, you know, you guys get money, you can actually pay your bills and be allowed to be creative. Thank you, Thank you very much, Sean. <laughs> I really appreciate that. <laughs> well, that's how I feel. So you, you keep going and um, talk to you another time. Thank you very much for being on the show. Thank you very much for having me.